There was an American and an Australian and an Irishman, and they were stuck on a desert island, all abandoned. And the American was out having a walk one morning along the beach, and he kicked something hard with his foot, and he jiggled around in the sand. sand. There was this lamp. It was pretty old, so he was rubbing it up to shine it up, and out pops this genie. And the genie says, thank you, my masters. I've been locked in that lamp for thousands and thousands of years, and for releasing me, I'll give you each one wish. And so the American well, this is easy. He just says, I've been stuck on this desert island with these two fellas so long, I just want to be home, back on the ranch with the green flowing hills, riding on the horse in the cool of the afternoon breeze, and pop, off he goes. The um, Australian says, that sounds pretty good. I'd like to be back home in Australia. Actually, can you make it the SCG with a couple of me mates and a six-pack of beer watching Australia flog India? Pop, off he goes. The Irishman thinks about it and he says, Gee, it's going to be a bit lonely without those two fellas. Do you think you could bring them back? <laughs> the good old genie jokes. They all hang on the person with the wish asking for the wrong thing. I, I'm sure you know a whole lot more of them. They think they're asking for something good, but it backfires. If you could have one wish, what would it be? A never-ending packet of Tim Tams? A stable family life? not to have anything to worry about? What is it that you most want? We've just started a new year. It's the first Sunday of 2008. Hopefully over the Christmas break you've had some time just to sit back and reflect on the year. If you could pray and ask God, your Heavenly Father, for one thing in the year ahead, what would it be? Because this morning we're looking at John 17, And in this passage, Jesus prays for you. The night before Jesus died, he prayed for you. And I wonder if what Jesus prayed for you is the same thing that you're praying for you. I mean, wouldn't it be ironic if the things that you prayed to Jesus were different from the things that he prayed for you? Or wouldn't it be tragic if, in fact, some of the things that you pray for yourself were contradicting the things that Jesus prayed for you. I mean, wouldn't it be good if it was the same prayer? Let's have a look together at what Jesus prayed. Open with me, if you haven't already, to John 17. Now, there's so much in this prayer, so if I skip over your favourite verse um, and don't explain it, I'm sorry for that. It's just, it's just so rich a passage. But at the heart of Jesus' prayer here is his desire that we would be one with him that we would be one with him and his Father. In fact, if you cast your minds back to um, what the last time we were dipping into John's Gospel in chapter 13 and 14 and 15, that is exactly what Jesus was teaching his disciples. He was encouraging them to remain in him and, and promising that he would be with them and that his truth would remain in them and they in him. But here, he turns it into a prayer. Now, isn't that interesting that that even Jesus, the Son of God, after he has done everything humanly possible to encourage his disciples, to prepare them for his departure, he's taught them everything, now he commits all that to his heavenly Father in prayer. He's done his work, and now he asks God to continue it. Let's pick it up at verse 1. The first thing Jesus prays for is his glory. 
He wants to be back with his father in glory. Verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Jesus now wants to go through with what lies ahead of him, the cross, and then he wants to be back with his father in glory. So there's a very real sense in which Jesus did not want to be in this world. This world is cursed because of human sin. This world is not a nice place to be in. Jesus came into this cursed world with a job to do, and now that job is finished. It's time for him to go home. In fact, verse 2, 3, and 4 is all about his work being complete. Verse 2, Father, you granted me, him, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus has revealed the Father to his disciples. He's finished his work. And now it's time for him to go back to the Father. Verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. For three or four years, I used to be part of a beach mission down at Lake Tabari. I know some of you are involved in beach missions even now. On Boxing Day, uh, we would jump in the car and drive down to Lake Tabari. And about 50 of us would set up tents there in the caravan park on the beach and we'd spend 10 days talking to people about Jesus. Each day, 100 or so kids would come along and we'd we'd sing songs with them, we'd play games, we'd tell them Bible stories, we'd have events at night for the adults. It was a great thing to be a part of. It was exciting. Um, People became followers of Jesus. But there was part of me that absolutely hated it. I mean, it was the middle of summer. It was stinking hot. We're in these hot canvas tents. I never got a good night's sleep. The stretches were hard. Every morning I'd wake up and have to somehow find the energy to be excited and smiley with the kids. And I can remember, I used to count the days from day one. Been here one day, nine days to go. Been here two days, eight days to go. And then New Year's Day would always be in the middle. And then there was this sense of relief. I've made it halfway. It's downhill. Five days to go. Four days to go. Three days to go and I'll be home. And what a relief after the final pack-up to be in the car, on the way home, shower and bed, waiting. Jesus here wants to be on the way home. Living in this world was not easy for Jesus. Jesus left behind his glory. He left behind the power and authority he had with the Father from all eternity, where angels worshipped him, where everyone knew who he was, where his enemies trembled at his authority. He left all that behind and he came into this world as a stranger where he would stand in front of people. They wouldn't recognise him as God. They would argue with him. They would call his work of the devil and eventually they would kill him. If we could just just catch a glimpse of the glory that Jesus had with the Father before he was a man, it's no wonder that Jesus wants to be back with his Father in glory. Verse 5, And now, Father, 
glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus finally is going to leave behind this world of darkness and be back with his father. But he is a bit torn because he's leaving behind his disciples. And so in verse 6, he prays for them. Verse 6, Father, I've revealed you to those who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Jesus here is praying for the people who came to know him, the people that he loves. The people that we've met in John's gospel so far. Andrew and Simon, Philip and Nathaniel, the Samaritan woman at the well who Jesus met, the man who was healed at the pool and went around telling everyone about Jesus, Lazarus who Jesus raised from the dead, Mary, Martha. Jesus loves these people and he's leaving them behind. And so as he leaves, he prays for them. And you can see on your outline, there's, there's three things that he prays. He prays that they would be protected. He prays that they would be sanctified or set apart. And finally, he prays that they would be one, that he would be in them and they would be in him. Let's look at each of those things one by one. Firstly, verse 11, he prays for their protection. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. He wants his friends to stay following him. And he asks his father to protect them, to keep them his. What do they need protecting from? Well, it's not protection from getting sick. It's not protection from being physically hurt. That certainly happened to them after Jesus left. It's spiritual protection. It's protection from the devil so that they will stay Christian. Look at verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one see god could just take us out of the world the moment that we're converted zap us straight to heaven do not pass go do not collect two hundred dollars and that would be much easier for us wouldn't it we become a christian and we're there straight away but that's not god's plan he does not want us out of the world he doesn't want us away in some little christian community like a monastery where we withdraw from the world he wants us in the world, in the middle of the world, but protected from the devil. Now, already Jesus' prayer is a challenge to us, isn't it? See, I wonder how often we pray for physical protection for people, for health, for relief from sickness, for comfort. 
And then I wonder how often you pray for spiritual protection for people, that they would withstand Satan's attacks on their faith, that they would resist temptation. And I wonder how in the world we are, or are we just sometimes caught in our little Christian rut where the only people we see each day are Christians? We are here to be in the world, to relate to the world, to engage with the world, to bring the gospel to the world. That's the reason we're here. That's Jesus' first prayer. Not that our Father would take us out of the world, but that he would protect us from the evil one as we live in this world. The second thing Jesus prays for, it's also related to living in a world that is opposed to Jesus. Jesus prays that we would stand out that we would be different. And the the Bible word for it is sanctified. Look at verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now, sanctified simply means to be set apart. to be different. At home, we have a set of Anita cutlery. We got it for um, our wedding, I think. And it's in the cupboard in the lounge room in a special box. It's not in the kitchen with the everyday cutlery where it gets scratched, scratched and put through the dishwasher. It's in the lounge room. And when we have a birthday or when we have a Christmas lunch or we have someone special around for dinner, out comes the good cutlery. If you're lucky enough to get invited around our place for dinner and we think you're special, you will see the Anita silver cutlery. It's sanctified. It's set apart to be different for a special use. That's what we are as Christians. We are set apart, different from everyone around us. And Jesus prays that for his disciples, the world would not engulf them and suffocate them like the parable of the soils. We need to resist the seductions of the world. Now, do you see that tension there? We're to be in the world but we're not to be like the world. We stay in the world, but we need to be different. And Jesus is asking God to keep us in the world, but keep us different. And in verse 17, Jesus actually spells out how that happens. How is it that we can live in this world and be different? Verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. See, God sets us apart by his word. This book here, the Bible. The Bible will stop you from being seduced by the world. It will make you different because this is the life-changing, transforming, sanctifying word of God. And when it comes to you, when you read it, it is accompanied by God's Holy Spirit. Holy means set apart. It is accompanied by God's sanctifying spirit, his Holy Spirit. You want to be different to the world? You want to be like Jesus? Get this into you. And what a great thing to be praying for each other. That God would set us apart by his word. That we would be so filled with the word of God that we would be different to the people around us while we live next to them. So Jesus prays for our protection. He prays for us to be made different through his word. And finally, in verse 21, he prays that Because of all this, we would be unified, that we would be one. Verse 20. 
my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, I don't think Jesus is praying a new prayer here like the NIV headings suggest, as if verses 6 to 19 are a prayer for the disciples. And now this is a different prayer for us, the later believers. You can't ignore the Bible, but you can ignore those headings. And I'd like you just to kind of pretend those NIV headings aren't there. They were added in later. So in verse 20, when Jesus says, and my prayer is not just for them, I think he means that same prayer that I was just praying, that they'd be set apart and that they would be um, protected. I'm not praying that just for them. My prayer is for all believers. He's now including us in that prayer that he just prayed. He wants all Christians everywhere to be protected and sanctified in the truth. And then in the very next verse, he gives the reason. So that, 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 that there can be so that. So that we will all be one. So that we will be united with Jesus. So that us, along with all Christians in the world, along with Jesus' first disciples, we would all be one. Now, this one here is not ecumenicalism, which you might read about or hear about, where it's all the different denominations trying to get together and put on a church service in the park, and somehow that will prove to the world that Jesus is the king. This is a a far more profound unity than that. God is inviting us to share in the love that exists between God the Father and God the Son. God is praying that you, as a follower of Jesus, will be part of of God's mission to reveal himself to this world. Look at verse 21. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is a spiritual unity that comes from each of us being one with God and therefore we are one with each other. And the point of this unity is mission. Now, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about back in John 13. Jesus challenged us to a kind of love that he demonstrated and he called us to it, that if we love each other like that, the only explanation can be that God must be doing it because it's not a love that we can achieve by our own power. And now Jesus prays for it, that love amongst each other, that unity. And again, isn't that a great prayer to be praying for each other? That the way that we treat each other would reflect the way that God has treated us. That just, that just as God the Father and the Son are one, we would be one with each other. That the very same love that the Father has for the Son and that the Son has for the Father, we would have for each other. Verse 23. I in them... And you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The aim of this protection, the aim of this sanctification, the aim of this unity is that Jesus and the Father would be glorified. Which brings us right back to the start, doesn't it? Jesus and his glory. And that's what Jesus prays for again in verse 24. 
Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. The point of all this is that Jesus wants us, his people, to see him for who he really is. Richie Benno was glorified this week on the first day of the test match at the SCG when when the governor of New South Wales unveiled a statue of Richie Benno. You might have heard it, you might have seen it. Richie Benno was glorified before everyone. To be glorified means to be lifted up so that people acknowledge how good you are. To be glorified is to be honoured. To be glorified is that people recognise your talents and gifts, your glory, your honour. Jesus wants to be glorified in front of us, in front of the people that he gave his life for, in front of the people who he loves. He wants you to see who he really is. And that will happen when you go to be with him. When Jill and I were first going out, we'd met each other um, it actually took quite a while because I was a lot more interested in things than Jill, Jill was. Uh, she was quite hard to get. But we'd been to the movies together. Uh, we were reading the Bible together each week. We were praying together. We were playing squash together. And then there was this stage in the relationship where it's time for me to go and meet her parents, time for her to come and meet my parents. Now, it's interesting. When Jill came to where I grew up in Griffith, it wasn't just about her meeting my parents. It was all about her coming to the place where I grew up her seeing the house that I grew up in, showing her my old school, opening the family photo album and she gets to see all the photos of me growing up and all the major points in my life, let Jill in on some of my history, reveal more of myself to her at at where I grew up. Jesus wants us to come with him to his father's house so that he can show us round, so that we can see the glory that he had before the world was made. We know Jesus, we've met him, we've read about him, we already know him, but there's more that we haven't seen yet. He wants us to have our minds blown away by his power, by his goodness, where we just fall down and in wonder and worship and awe for who he is. When he was on earth, even to his closest disciples... His glory was veiled. He's looking forward to the day when he'll be there and we will be there and we can see him for who he is. Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What a great prayer. That is God's plan. That is God's desire. That is what God is working towards. That is what Jesus came and died for. That is what Jesus here is praying for you. That Jesus would be glorified in your life. Is that what you're living for? Is that your greatest prayer? That Jesus be glorified. Look, I'm sure that the Apostle Peter had problems with his boat and leaks and knots in his fishing nets. I'm sure the disciples had health problems. I'm sure they had a whole host of stuff that was just life stuff that was hard to get through each day. But those things are absent 
from Jesus' prayer here. Jesus sees very clearly through all those things and he sees what's most important. He prays that God would keep them from the devil. He prays that they would be sanctified and he prays that they would be one with the Father and one with each other. And that through all that, he would be glorified. It's interesting to notice what Jesus didn't pray for you. Jesus didn't pray that you would be healthy. Jesus didn't pray that your finances would run smoothly. Jesus didn't pray that you would have a perfect marriage or a perfect family. Jesus didn't pray for you to be successful in your career. Jesus prayed for you that you would keep loving him and that your life would bring him glory. That's what you're here for. That's why he didn't just zap you off to heaven. You are here to bring him glory. So as you head into 2008, is that what your life is about? As you start to think about the year ahead, as you start to plan, what's on your mind? Holidays, work, what sport you might take up, what sport you might drop, what new hobby you might start, how to slow down, how to speed up. What's on your mind as the year turns over? Is this year for you going to be a year that is centred around Jesus? In 2008, are you going to do whatever you can to bring Jesus glory? Are you concerned for your brothers and sisters in Christ that they be protected from Satan in 2008 and at the end of this year they're still following Jesus? That in 2008 they live in the world but that they're different? And if those are your concerns for the year, that's great. How are you going to put them into practice this year? Will you be praying for people at Morning Church? Will you be praying for missionaries? Is there someone perhaps you can take an interest in this year? Is there a younger Christian brother or sister who you can get alongside and encourage? Meet up with them during the week. Pray with them. Read the Bible with them. Is there a ministry at church or outside of church that you can get involved with for the first time that will bring glory to Jesus? Maybe writing letters to people in jail. Maybe being involved with Crossroads. Maybe joining a Bible study group. Maybe there's a missionary that your family can adopt and pray for them and put them on your fridge and write to them. Maybe at work there's a prayer group. Maybe at work you could start a prayer group. Is this year going to be about bringing glory to Jesus? If you could have one prayer for the year ahead, what would it be? Let's make our prayer that we would bring Jesus glory, that we would bring his Father honour. Let's pray for that now. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, which is all about this. We're not going to pray trespasses. We're going to say, forgive us our sins. And we're not going to pray thine. We're going to pray yours be the glory. Uh, Let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and lead us not into temptation. Have I missed a bit? Speak up louder, I'll follow you. Forgive us our sins. Forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.